Oh, well, hello there. Hello. How are you? Our counting is slowly getting like much faster yeah. as we as we do our five seconds for audio. I feel I feel like a professional now. It's re- it's really cool. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, we've nailed how to count to five quickly we because are. we were homeschooled. <laughs> <laughs> I support homeschooling. I just like to joke about it. Oh, for sure. Like it's it's genuinely very great. Um. Oh yeah. I mean. As long as your kid's out there doing something, don't like homeschool your kid and then keep them inside all day. That might be an issue. Yeah, my mom instead left me outside the whole time. I never <laughs> saw the inside of a house. That is also not true. Mom, I know you're listening. I was I was well housed, but I did play outside like 100% of the time. I was outside a lot. It actually just reminds me of a funny story from this. I remember my my parents telling me a story about their childhood when they would like play outside and stuff. They were like, yeah, and sometimes we just like be out there with friends and stuff and we drink water from the hose because, you know, our parents would kick us out and then they wouldn't let us back inside until it was like getting dark. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that sounds awesome. Mom, oh, yeah. kick me out of the house. I sorely miss going outside and just not returning until like mm-hmm. I was in need of sustenance. Right, right. Like, that was a big thing from being a kid was, was you go outside and not the summer, like because because since I didn't go to school, mm-hmm. um, and you probably had this experience too. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was it was always summer, and you would get cold. You would go outside, and you would get uh-huh. very cold eventually. And I just stayed out there the whole time. Same. I hey, never Charlie, maybe get... don't squeak that squeaky toy right now, bud. <laughs> but that one time, I after hearing that story, I told my mom, I was like, "Mom, kick me out of the house and don't let me back inside until I've played long enough that I have to drink from the water hose." Because I think that's yes. cool. That was the reason. I would like to stay outside, please. <laughs> please. That's like, I definitely love like um that part of. The part of college where you realize that no one is making you be inside is uh-huh. weird. Um, I, I realized that my sophomore year that I could sit on my roof from my apartment bedroom, like bedroom window. And so I would just sit on my roof for like four or five hours just because I could and no one was going to stop me. It was incredibly liberating. There's nothing like a good roof sit. There is nothing like a good roof sit. <laughs> good quote. Put that on a t-shirt. Oh yeah, I I was if I had while living at home ever once climbed upon the roof, my mom would have been so mad. Hey, buddy, my dog is squeaking a very loud toy. <laughs> you know he's gonna do his thing. Go Charlie, right? I don't oh, think that, he understands that we're uh, doing a podcast. That crunch is like ASMR. Is very loud noise. Oh yeah, mm. yeah. Welcome, well, welcome to our ASMR channel. Thank you for choosing the Cosmic Coffee Shop. ASMR. I love Asper. <laughs> <laughs> Calling it Asper is just like better than anything else. But oh, definitely. No, roof, roof sitting quality. Mm-hmm. I spent highly my recommend out safe there. roof sitting. Well, here's the thing: I was never safe about it. In fact, one day it snowed, and I was like, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna build a snowman on the roof, and <laughs> I did. I built the snowman on the roof. Uh, and as soon as I was done, I slipped and fell and, like, landed on the cement. But don't worry. Oh, yeah. My years of playing Legend of Zelda had trained me to go straight into a roll, and I was totally fine. That is impressive. Yes, that is it honestly is. impressive. I, I, I know. I felt, I felt like, such a badass, uh, and then my mom didn't let me go on the roof anymore. <laughs> that makes sense. You know? That makes sense. Um, um, so, so, Cody, what did you learn this week? Well, Georgia, I learned the hard facts of life this week Uh nah it's it's not really that bad i it's just been a really busy week um i got a new car which i talked about in the last intro and it's great it's awesome a a good tip to anyone if you can talk the car dealer down to selling you a car for twenty eight hundred dollars 
chances are there might be something wrong with it. That makes a lot of sense. Yep. I had it checked at a Firestone before I bought it because I was like, I'm going to be smart about this. Um, turns out, even when you do that, things are going to go wrong sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, my check engine light came on yesterday and it was it was already on top of just a kind of shitty day. Um, and yeah, I felt like the world was ending. Of course, it wasn't and things are fine now. Um, yeah, you made it through. Yeah, I spent some time. I screamed off. Uh, the top of the airport up here in Kulawi. And wow, what a liberating feeling. I don't know how you I You simply done that must before. go yell at the mountains. You must, because honestly, when you do, you're like, oh, wow, I feel better. Um, but no, I, I guess what I learned wasn't as much of a fact as it was whenever things happen that are shitty, because they're going to happen, because guess what? It's life. All of those things are just giving you the opportunity to grow and become a better person. It doesn't mean that it always works out that way. I've been through shitty times and then not learned a thing uh, because, you know, I didn't want to. I didn't want to adapt or change. But this time I did. I learned that sometimes you just got to let it go, breathe, realize it's not the end of the world, and that you're growing in one way or another, whether it's pushing you to the breaking point and now you've got to just change a little bit or it's giving you a deeper like patience level Mm -hmm. you can take more and i don't know i think that's something that i'm taking away from it is that because of this experience i'll be able to deal with other hard experiences just a little bit easier yeah i'm glad that was a positive experience for you that's awesome yeah i mean it was negative for sure but i turned it positive which is good yeah like bad things are always going to happen and and difficult things are always going to happen and i agree with what you said like it, not everything that happens that is frustrating needs to change your life or needs to make you a better person or right. needs to be groundbreaking. Um, some things really do just suck, and that's sad, but mm-hmm. they do, and they're matched by things that are wonderful. Exactly. Um, but, yeah, not everything you have to learn from. But when you do learn from something bad, like you're like, ugh, thank God, this one was useful. Yeah, no, exactly. It feels exactly. so much better. You feel like, oh, I, I actually gained something from this. Cool, there was a reason for it. Yeah, that's yeah. that's such a funny idea because you know everyone says there's a reason for everything. I don't know that that's 100 percent true. I do believe that God and the universe is working towards a general good. Yeah, but I don't know that every bad thing that happens is, you know, always for a good reason. I think we as human beings can take the good from it, though. Yeah. And because like the phrase is there's a reason for everything, not Mm -hmm. there's a positive reason or a positive outcome for everything. No, exactly. You're right. You're right. Um, Which is like a bummer. Right. It's a big bummer. But that's, you know, hey, that's what I sit there and preach is like duality. There's good and bad. Mm -hmm. And do your best to contribute to the good. Exactly. Exactly. And some people are going to do their best to contribute to the bad. But that's kind of what makes the whole yin yang thing work. Um, but yeah, what what about you, Georgia? What did you learn this week? Oh, uh, mine is, I mean, one thing I learned is that my glasses prescription doesn't work anymore. Um, fun, because fun. I had a headache for the entire first week of school. Um, but on like, a, and also I don't wear my glasses, which like, <laughs> I texted my mom and was like, I need a new prescription. She's like, Georgia, I've never seen you wear your glasses. And I was like, ah, fair point, fair you point. got me there. <laughs> um, so I started wearing them again and they've, they've expired, I guess. They're, the, the label on the milk has gone bad and these glasses are no longer beneficial. Oh, damn. Um, they're better than my eyes alone, yeah. but they're not great. But the actual fact I learned this week 
um, was that for a long time, scientists had this idea, this theory, that people in ancient times could not see the color blue. Whoa. Because of literary evidence, like evidence? Literary yeah, that evidence. literary evidence. <laughs> I love literary evidence. Um, literary, <laughs> <laughs> literary evidence from uh, books like The Odyssey that said things along the lines of, like, the wine-dark sea, which led us to believe, like, oh, well, maybe they saw it as, as red or purple. Whoa. Um, and so they were like, oh, well, ancient people, they could not see blue. Apparently, we've overturned that belief, which makes a lot of sense to me, yeah. because we were only looking at one language. Um, mm -hmm. And while a lot of European languages um, didn't have a word for blue, um, languages in other areas did. And a lot of that kind of came from um, like what was native in that area and what could be like chemically produced because a lot of the things that we like see as blue are chemical reactions not naturally occurring things right like blueberries are actually purple and the sea is actually dark green um mm -hmm. and so in ancient greece where we're like taking this anecdote from um if you looked at the sky and you're like what color is that they would probably say white or light um Whoa. because the more dominant color theory was based on hue and shade than it was on actual pigment um so the reason that like that phrasing was wine dark was that the sea is dark and deep and that was more dominant than the actual wine colorant right and then there's another theory that is if you don't differentiate between things that we don't have a reason to acknowledge mm -hmm. so if i'm going to look at something that is blue and i don't have a word for blue but I have the categories green and purple. I'm going to put it in the category of purple, which yeah. is the color of wine, and say wine dark. That doesn't mean that I can't see the hue of blue. It's just that I don't put it in that category. Right. At the same time, like when people argue over like, is this yellow green or green yellow? <laughs> like, do you have a separate category for the color chartreuse? And if we do, then we can say, oh, it's neither. It's chartreuse, mm -hmm. um, which is green, yellow, or yellow, green. Um and so I, this is fascinating to me because, like, of course, we'll never know how people actually perceive color. Charlie, for the love of God, stop squeaking <laughs> this toy. I'm begging you. Please. You have a bone. Charles, my man. He says, I just want to contribute to the discussion. I'm a dog. He's like, I understand every word you're saying, but you just can't understand me. Listen. Yeah, he speaks perfect English. Better than me. Because I don't speak perfect English. Um, release it. Stop it. Stop playing with that. So... Th this brought up this idea for me that was like if we don't categorize things we can't um we can't differentiate them from other things uh -huh. and i think that's like the importance of like we talked about in the last episode like 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 noticing um intrusive thoughts and categorizing yes. them as intrusive thoughts because if we don't categorize intrusive thoughts as intrusive thoughts there are squeakers on both ends of the toy oh wow that is a like a well-designed dog toy for sure, but not great for podcast. Oh wow! Yeah, That's it's it's deep. Got a, I got a quick question. I know I know you're in the middle of a thought, but does he ever just wake you up with that? No, like he sleeps for like eighteen hours a day, oh and then this God. is the time where he decides to d just do a little smidge of crack and uh -huh. run around real fast. Uh -huh. Um, <laughs> he's yeah, he's for sure doing. He's he's on Adderall. He's on he's not something ADHD. like that dog. Ugh. <laughs> yeah. Um, or maybe he's just a puppy. But Could my be. point is, is if, if we don't differentiate negative thoughts from the rest of our thoughts, mm -hmm. then we'll eventually land on this assumption, like, all of my thoughts are negative. I must be negative. 
I am the problem, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, yeah. And so like learning to categorize and differentiate the way that we think um, is so important in that same concept. Like if I don't know that blue is different from purple and green, it always has to be one of those things, even though I know now that is unique because we have a word for it. Um, So learning to name things in your own mind and in your own life are so important. And so I like learning like, oh, that right there is not just you know, that person being that person, that right there's like a narcissistic trait. Yes. And if I can yeah. acknowledge those things and name those things, I put them in a different category um, that I might have more control over. That's, that's fucking fascinating. It's really cool. I think it's really cool. So uh, on today's episode, we had some uh, unexpected circumstances where we weren't able to record with our planned guest, um, which we only found out a few hours before we actually started recording. So we decided to kind of change gears a little bit um, and talk about something that we talked about in class um a few days ago which is just looking into media a bit too much just um (laughs) and i find it to be so fun it is one of my favorite things to do um so the the enjoyment here is is we pick we're going with movies today we'll Uh probably do this again with like books and stuff but you pick a movie that is not meant to be deep and then you find out why it's deep because like most things i mean like of course there's some things that that aren't like this but i found that most like fun and whatever you know movies Mm -hmm. or um other types of media end up landing in a pretty deep place if you just look hard enough and some really deep stuff ends up landing in nothing it's just (laughs) nothing crazy it's it's like that person that just tries to be deep you have a seven-year-old that's just like you know says whatever and you're like man that that changed my life yeah no exactly exactly but or that person that's just like wow i just can't believe that we're all people hashtag deep dude (laughs) <laughs> like, like, bro. You have hands and I have hands. Ugh, people really aren't that different. What? <laughs> <laughs> what, sir? Yeah, no, that's part of it. Sorry. Um, yeah. So we're gonna talk about some movies today, which yeah. is like not something that we've ever done on the podcast. Which I'm, I'm pretty it's excited exciting. to just kind of mess yeah. around. So, uh, Georgia, go ahead. I want to hear. I want to hear what movie you looked up and like thought about. Here's. Today. I actually didn't have to look this up because I'm. I go to college. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> we're just so smart with our bfas and liberal arts degrees um, come for me I, dad let's go what do you what, what do you let's fight <laughs> i'm just kidding dad i love you my person my personal belief is, is college is so it might make you more knowledgeable but i don't think it will ever like change who you are or make you at your core a different person or a smarter person i really think with specific things like that with college it's like it's not going to make you smarter or or have a better understanding of the world unless you were looking for that. Like f- freshman year, I just flew through and barely learned a thing. I've learned a lot in college. I could mm-hmm. definitely argue if I just moved to any city, I would have also learned those things. Yep. And um, I'm glad I'm here because like I enjoy specified study. But if you're not into that, my point is, <laughs> if you didn't go to college, rock on, you know, that's totally fine. Um, a lot of a lot of amazing people didn't go to college. Exactly. But we're in college, and I learned this knowledge in a college class. <laughs> the knowledge um, in college. I'm sorry. I learned that me. knowledge in college. <laughs> um, girls go to college to get more knowledge. Go- boys, boys go, go to, to Jupiter, Jupiter to get, get more, more stupider. You know, I heard that same rhyme just reversed when I was a kid. I it looks like everyone that was makes mean. sense. It doesn't that matter. Makes, yeah, everyone was mean, and I'm not sure gender is real. Welcome to the <laughs> podcast. Um, so. <laughs> Let's dive right into it. I'm sorry. That's great. 
<laughs> that should be our slogan. <laughs> Everyone is mean. Gender's not real. Cosmic coffee shop. <laughs> awesome. Excellent. So Hi. my movie of the day is drumroll, please. I can't do a drumroll, so it's your Wait. turn. Very nice. Very nice. Groundhog Day. Oh. Ooh. I actually wasn't expecting it. I'm dumb. Okay, yes, please, please. Okay, can, what? If you Have you seen Groundhog Day recently or at all? I've seen it before, but it's been like a good two years. Okay. Um, but I, I do know like the whole plot. I remember it pretty well. Mm-hmm. What, what theme would you think of in Groundhog Day? Um, okay. I can give you a hint if you want. Yeah, yeah, because like, I don't know, learning to appreciate everyday life, like... Um, main religious theme. Oh, God. I didn't know that it was religious. Bill Murray is God? Okay, Cody's guess is Bill Murray is God. Yeah. Uh, shout out your guesses out at home. Comment on Instagram. Tell us what your guesses are. <laughs> so, the main religious theme of Groundhog Day is actually reincarnation. Wow. Yeah. So the main religious theme of, of Groundhog Day is, is about uh, this thing called Samsara, which is the circle of, of life in a way, or the circle of reincarnation that mm-hmm. is illustrated in a lot of religions, including uh, Hinduism and Buddhism. Um, Christianity, most... of course. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, but, but many religions that uh, believe in reincarnation um, call it Samsara. And so I, I'm going to use the terminology um, around uh, Hinduism. Um, because it's the religion that I'm most familiar with in this area. But I think that Groundhog Day was most specifically written about Buddhism. Interesting. I'm going to let my dog out. I'll be yeah, right no, back. No, We're, We're leaving this little... in the podcast. This is everyday life recording at home. All I right. say home like we have a studio. We're 20 years old. We're leaving this in the podcast, which means I have like a few seconds to talk about random bullshit. Um, <laughs> my door is not that far away. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. Okay, we're centering. We're, we're back in it. So I said that I was going to use the terms of Hinduism because I know more about it. And then I realized that I'm a religion major and I know enough about both to use Buddhist terms. I'm going to be using Buddhist terms. Um, I, I know more about Hinduism as a whole, but it doesn't like matter for this. So the main idea is that Bill Murray's character is incredibly unhappy and um, very combative within his life. He's not putting out a lot of good energy into the world, right? Um, and so within the concept of Buddhism, there is um, both good karma and bad karma and merit and demerit. And so merit is something actionable in your life that you can do that will create good things. And good karma is is a more of a cosmic version of that. Um, so like, you know when you're doing something with merit. I gave a homeless man $5 and he was able to buy a meal and I accrued good merit from that. I probably also accrued good karma, but on the other hand, I might have said something nice to someone that I didn't realize impacted their life and it gave me good karma and I wasn't even aware of that. Kind of besides the point, but still. I do have a question about this actually, specifically. Mm -hmm. I've been watching the show The Good Place recently. Mm -hmm. Fantastic show if you haven't watched it. On the idea of like karma or or just doing good things, you know, being a good person, uh, a big part of the show is talking about like the intention behind it that matters. Mm-hmm. So with karma, like I, I assume that if you go into it with a bad intention or a selfish intention, it, it just kind of works in reverse. You know, you get bad karma from that because it's really just a selfish act, e- even if it was good. Yeah. Like, like if you were going to give 
like you said, five money or five money. Whoa. Five dollars. Here, sir, please take five money. I hope this helps your your day. But if you were only doing it because you wanted people you were with to see it, would that be like bad karma? It might not be bad karma. It's more likely to be neutral. Like um, uh-huh. you see those videos of people like helping homeless people. They might right. accrue good, good. They might accrue merit from that. They have done something mm-hmm. that will benefit that person's life and they're aware that it was good and other people are aware that it's good and they might commend them for it but as far as karma goes like it is not a selfless act you're not just putting out good energy without the intention of getting anything back it is still a selfish behavior in its way it's it might not be bad Mm -hmm. but it might be neutral like a, a lot of religions have this theory that giving without receiving is the best way to give in uh the christian bible there's a scripture that says um you should never let your right hand know what your left hand is doing or, or something yeah. like that. I don't yeah. have the exact words. Um, but I, I know the verse you're talking about. Yeah, uh, which the, the basic idea is um, when you give, it should be a secret so that even you cannot boast to yourself of how, how good you have done. Um, mm-hmm. Giving should become such a mundane behavior that it, it is not even special to you. To you. Um, wow. and other people certainly should not be commending you for how well you give. Um, mm-hmm. it's one of the big like critiques of mega churches is like, we've done so much good because we're so big. Right. It's very obvious that that might be a selfish behavior. And so is it actually good or is it selfish? Um, Damn, you just added the church that I grew up in. <laughs> you were just like straight at you. Uh, it, it can that's... be hard to, to see like a, a church like that, that are really outwards about how much they're giving and how much they're doing mm-hmm. um because that's not really what the goal is um right. for anywhere which is super ironic because they would preach all the time you know the story about uh all the pharisees giving away like so much money but then the one woman who only has like two i don't know what the currency was um but she only has like two cents essentially mm-hmm. and she gives that and jesus was like she gave way more than all of the Pharisees yeah, did. Yeah. And they were only doing it to look good. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like, that's essentially what I'm getting from this. Oh, yeah. Um, G- giving with your context. Like, when we hear about, you know, multi-billionaires who have $300 billion and you go, oh my gosh, they gave $100 million to the hungry. Yes, what percentage of $300 billion is $100 million? Right. If I gave $4 out of my income for an entire year, that would be a similar percentage. But I would have given four dollars exactly which is not what i have the capacity to give which is which which is what's really interesting about about giving so when we look at bill murray's character he is jaded he's very angry he's not a very happy person and so he's both accruing demerit by being unkind and bad karma by putting bad energy into the world and so they go to the town where the groundhog thing happens i can't remember what it's called the groundhog ceremony the Groundhog Day. I don't know. It's y'all. It's I wrote a final paper about this, and I cannot remember a single detail. <laughs> I should have like picked it up and read it, but instead, my brain was like beep boop bop. The, the thing where they see if the groundhog has seen its shadow. Yes, right? yes, that thing. Um, go watch Groundhog Day and let me know because I don't want to watch it again because I watched it several times for this paper. Valid. And so he goes, and the day starts repeating itself over and over again. And at first, his reaction is, "This is terrifying." And after waking up a few times, he goes, huh, well, if nothing bad is going to happen and I can die and start this day over, I'll just be reckless. 
I will continuously do bad and dangerous things. Um, I can harm those around me. I can harm myself and nothing bad will happen. So I'll just keep doing that because it's mm. something that we might desire to do, but we don't because we know that we don't have the option to come back. Yeah. Um, and so he continuously does that. And that's a good portion of this uh, sequence of, of life repeating itself. And then it starts to get tiresome. And he realizes, I have all this time and endless time. Why not become an expert in all the things I've always wanted to know? So he spends a lot of time learning. He spends all this time accruing knowledge. Um, and then after a while, he's mastered every hobby or talent or interest he's ever had. And it's not enough. He's not fulfilled and the day is still repeating itself. Right. And so he starts to be kind to others. The rest of the time that he spends in the re repetition of life is spent learning to love those around him to the best of his ability, being as kind as he, as he can, and accruing both merit and good karma. He's putting good energy into the world. He's giving uh, as much like helpfulness and kindness as possible, knowing he will receive no reward because no one knows what his situation is right. um while also receiving merit like he saved someone from choking and like all these other things that's so interesting you you used the term when you were talking about it like kind of waking up you know how people talk about having spiritual awakenings or whatever <laughs> where they just kind of become self-aware mm -hmm. and realize like what they put out is important it just seems kind of like that that's what happens he has like a spiritual awakening almost yeah in the midst of that yeah and so he realizes that nothing is going to get him out of this moment. And the only thing that makes it feel bearable is, in fact, doing good and being kind. And after he learns to love in the most effective way, um, which like I, some some people have like calculated on the Internet and it's like 15 to 30 years that he's been in the same day. Like yeah, it's a large amount of time. time. Um, it ends and he leaves that day and he wakes up and it's the day after Groundhog Day. Wow. Um, and it's this incredibly fascinating look at, at, at like what you do when you have unlimited time right um and how we treat our life and that's that's the surface level but if we look at it from a religious perspective bill murray's character goes through all the cycles of samsara he realizes that nothing bad is going to happen if he continues doing bad but it is not fulfilling and once he realizes that it's fulfilling he goes into this next stage where he's like well i can learn so much i can accrue all this knowledge but it's still selfish to accrue just knowledge when you're not doing good things or sharing that knowledge mm -hmm. with others and so he reaches the final phase which is accruing good karma and good merit um reaching this this higher phase of samsara to where he finally reaches enlightenment and after he reaches enlightenment, he's released from samsara, which is the same thing that happens in both uh, Buddhism and Hinduism. In Hinduism, it's called moksha, which is you've been released in the circle of life, um, and you go, you become part of the universe, um, un like separated from your soul. And mm. the same thing with enlightenment, where you have transcended your soul and you experience, you know, ego death, and you're out in the cosmos if you want to. I yeah. think I think with Buddhism, you can, you can choose whether or not you that want to. That sounds cool, though. There's, in fact, a whole section of Buddhism that believes that choosing enlightenment is selfish and that having the knowledge that you can be enlightened, uh, the most compassionate way to use that knowledge is by not becoming enlightened and spending that time sharing your compassion with others. Whoa. Oh. Isn't that fascinating? Okay, okay, tangent. Mm -hmm. I, I've been looking up as much as I can about not just like enlightenment, but you know, like this whole cycle in Buddhism mm -hmm. and like what happens when you become enlightened or like ascend or whatever. Like, and there's you float there's up into a, the heavens, you turn yeah. into a ball of light. <laughs> this there's is like not accurate. So many, so, there's so many theories about it, and there's like, of course, I don't know if any of them can be right, but it was just like 
I was thinking about that. And a lot of the things that they said you had to do to like get there or whatever, uh, I'm sure a lot of it's bullshit because a lot of it was stuff that I was like, oh yeah, that's just, duh. And that's like what I do. And I was like, am I like, have, what, have I, have I become enlightened? I don't think so by any means, but I, I do think that that's really interesting because if I got to that point where it's like choosing to become enlightened or not, I don't know that I would. Mm. And I think the reason would be selfish because it's like, I do enjoy experiencing life on earth and I would want to spread as much good as possible. But yeah, that's, that's just really, really interesting oh, yeah. and fascinating. And like what's even more cool to note is that uh, the, the first Buddha experienced enlightenment and sat under a tree for two mm -hmm. weeks and then woke up and came out of enlightenment and said, I think I'd like to spend some more time in the world. Um, wow. And isn't that like, like so cool to think like you could reach your highest form of being and acknowledge that your connection with those around you is worth more than your highest form of being. Wow. No, that's, yeah. that's beautiful. Honestly, I, it's cool. In certain scenarios, I'm sure I've not actually hit the same point that the Buddha has, but like, I felt like I've gotten to a point where it's like, I reach an understanding of some kind, but it's like, once you're there, it almost feels boring because <laughs> then it's like, I, you just kind of know. So it and of is course, better like, to just like, like we would have no understanding of like what that might feel like and where you would actually be in that moment. No, of course. I think many people have had a moment of transcendence from the worry of life mm -hmm. and those moments when you go like, like none of this feels real. Like I'm, I'm out of it all. Like I, I had that moment once when I was a kid and I was, um, I went down to the beach at high tide with my dad and I felt like I was, I was floating on top of right. the earth. It was just me. Um, God. I've never felt that again. That's so interesting. I, so it, it kind of brings up the idea that is talked about in Disney Pixar's soul. Uh, have you seen soul? I haven't. I need to. Um, I truly haven't been in the emotional place to handle another Pixar movie. I never recovered from watching inside out when I was 11. <laughs> it came out in 2015, but I'm going to brush past When I was 15, I have no concept of how old I was ever. Um, but in, in that movie, I'm not going to put any spoilers or anything, but they do have this really cool concept about how you reach like, a spiritual plane where it's like moments that you are, quote unquote, in the zone, mm. you know, whenever it, it could be with anything, singing, painting, dancing, if you're, I don't know, really into sports, I'm sorry, I'm just not a sports person. I don't get it. But like when you're in the zone, yeah, that you reach that like spiritual place of like heightened where you feel like you're not even in your body and it's like magnificent. I struggle with, with chronic pain. Mm -hmm. And one of the only times when I am like completely free of it is when I'm painting, which is interesting because mm. I'm not comfortable when I'm when I'm painting. Like I, it tends to trigger a lot of back pain for me. Yeah. But when I'm painting, I lose my concept of time and my yes. kind of sense of self because I'm so engaged in colors. Mm -hmm. Like I'm so engaged in it that my concept of, of how I feel just kind of leaves. And then when I get broken out of it, I get hit by this wall of like, boom, your body back hurts. Back to reality. And yeah. it's it's rough. It's rough. It's incredible, and that's why I that's why I love painting so much now. Like mm -hmm. I've been really enjoying it whenever there's because there are some pieces that i'm not like as proud of because it's just like oh you know i i didn't feel like i was in the zone but there are moments when i'm like painting where it's like i feel like i'm in another place and that just kind of 
goes along with that uh, Pixar yeah. theory there, which is it's really cool. And I don't know, I kind of liken it to being in that, you know, spiritually heightened place. Yeah, totally. And then being able to like snap out of it, come back to reality. Having been there, having mm. been at that like highest level, so you know what it's like, but then coming back down and realizing that while maybe not every moment of every day is like that, you can still live and give to others knowing the best part of yourself and like trying mm-hmm. to still be that in everyday yeah, life. Yeah. Um, I remember when I when I was uh, a, a churchgoer, a lot of people call it like the spiritual high. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And it kind of became this, like, dangerous thing where people would, would chase that spiritual high the same way you would chase drugs. Yeah. And be like, like, this is something that I need to feel all the time. And the reality is, like, if your search is for enlightenment in or, you know, your highest form of, of spirituality or anything, that journey is not linear. You will yeah. move all over that plane and go up and down. And you might reach a moment where you're like, this is my highest self. And the next day... I mean, just feel awful. Yeah. It's not always going to stay up there. It can't. It can't. We're human beings. Something I find really interesting about us is that, like, no matter what, and this is, like, scientifically proven, no matter what uh-huh. you have, no matter what you get, like, especially if you're chasing after material things mm-hmm. and, like, wealth and stuff, even once you receive that and you, like, are done with that, like, rush and that high, you will return to, like, your normal state of being. It's yeah. just going to happen. Even yeah. if you have everything. That's why, like, scientifically, having more than, like, a 70, even, like, I think it's, like, 65 or $70,000 a year salary, like, enough to live comfortably. Above that, you're not gaining much. Mm, that's interesting. And Because you're, you're not going to be happier. Mm-hmm. You, you're going to return to that same, like, stasis point of just, yeah, like, everyday yeah. living. Like, w- w- wherever you are. Um, which, and mm-hmm. I think that's, that's true with, with spirituality in a lot of ways, but that's, um, basically the overall plot points of, of Groundhog Day as a whole is that it's about reincarnation and samsara and the circle of life. Um, that's incredible. And, yeah. I definitely missed that when I saw it as a wee child. Um, <laughs> and I enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed seeing it, seeing it as an adult. And there's a lovely, um, video on YouTube called the samsara of Groundhog Day, Mm-hmm. Um, that's from a Buddhist scholar who is, is, she's got a very soothing voice and it's cool to listen to her talk about it. So go check that out for sure. That's, that's awesome. That's yeah. really incredible. I honestly, like I could go on and on and talk about this specific subject for like hours. Oh, uh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, but it's cool. It's cool. In fact, no, I'll save that for another episode. I do. I do want to hear about the movie that you thought a little too yes. hard about though. Yeah. Um, all right. So. On the topic of not needing to go to college to be smart, uh, I got my information from a YouTube video. So Yeehaw, there's baby. that. And I'm just going to go ahead. I know they'll probably not hear this, but if you're ever on YouTube and you want to get into like philosophy, but also media, a uh, really great channel to check out is Wisecrack. Uh, mm. it's, it's a great time. They talk a lot about philosophy and like philosophy in our daily lives and in media that we consume. Yeah, um, totally. This video, they have a series called Deep or Dumb. Well, they'll, they'll go through, like, different things in media, different shows and movies, and they'll try to find a deeper meaning to it. And if they can, they'll label it deep. And if not, they'll label it dumb, even if it's enjoyable. Mm. Uh, you know, philosophically, it's dumb. Um, but here's here's something that might surprise a lot of you. Uh, some movie that's surprisingly deep 
is uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I believe that. And yeah, yeah, right? Have I uh, seen it? No. Do I still believe it? Yeah, it has Keanu Reeves in it. Sure. <laughs> it's got to be deep if it's got Keanu Reeves in it. He was in The Matrix. Duh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was going to make a joke and then I couldn't remember if, if Red Pill was still a uh, dog whistle for white supremacists. I think it is. Ooh, so ooh. I just dropped it. Leave, All leave right. that one out. Yeah. Blue Pill is also just Viagra. Whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the Matrix. We're not talking about that movie right now. Nope. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. So what... Now this may be their channel and like a lot of other people applying way too much thought to this movie. It could mm-hmm. just be a dumb fun time. But depending on how you look at it, it could be very deep. Um, specifically, they talked about the issues with our like westernized education system mm-hmm. and how how it works and how the movie shows that. Uh, at the beginning of the movie, Bill and Ted don't really give a shit about school. They just want to be in their band. And when you see their, like, school scenes, you see scenes of them, like, getting just force-fed information. Their yeah. teacher asks them, like, specific questions about specific facts. And this gets into a deeper issue of our actual education system where it's, like, we assume that children know nothing and that the teacher knows everything. and that I they think just we assume to... kids know the wrong stuff. Right. Kids right. are very wise. They are very yeah. stupid, oh, but they're abs- very wise. Yeah. I, I totally agree. And the way that the way that they're taught in schools though is is just like learn these facts. Yeah. And yeah. do not question these facts. We are right. Mm-hmm. Whereas and, and so that's what's shown in the film. Uh, yeah. until of course Bill and Ted get their time travel machine in the form of a phone booth. Not Doctor Who. I had the same thought. Well, actually that's a police call box. Um if you were really into Doctor Who lore, you would know that. <laughs> do not recite the ancient text to me winch i was there when it was written <laughs> i'm just saying i'm a really big doctor who fan i've seen like a lot a lot of yeah, that show uh cody and i were for sure those like eighth graders that were like i have to um <laughs> <Absolutely>. so yeah <laughs> um but yeah it, this is something that i'm actually kind of glad the way i growing up in school i homeschool you know I went to a private Christian school for my first year of high school mm-hmm. didn't enjoy it because I did get this exact same education system we mm-hmm. weren't asked our opinions about things we were just told information and told that it was correct mm-hmm. and then we would just have to like regurgitate it back up and tell it to the teacher and boom yeah. you get an A put it on I, a standardized I, test and they decide if you're dumb or not I yeah um so they in the video they bring up the philosopher and I'm gonna butcher his name. I'm so sorry. Um, Paolo Frier, Frieri? You're in the ballpark. Y- yeah. It's, can it's I something... say it? No. Yes, you can. But you're in... No, oh. no, no. Like, can I pronounce it? No. But you're in the ballpark. Yeah, you know who I'm talking about. I do. Um, but he, he talks a lot about the education system and how instead of it being just like students force that information and told to just remember it and recite mm-hmm. it it should be an open dialogue between teachers and students where they can ask the socratic questions. method the socratic method and this is why Whoa. so i grew up i i did this thing called classical conversations where we would meet on tuesdays as like a full class uh-huh. and we talk we do this a lot of our classes were socratic discussions mm-hmm. and that's how we learned which is 
awesome to me. I got to learn a lot about philosophy. Granted, it was a Christian, like, learning program, so I was kind of force-fed that specific religion. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was a bit tough. They still kind of teach you to think for yourself, even if they don't realize they are. Exactly. No, they absolutely did. Well, because I would sit there, and while we were talking about, you know, Christianity, I would find, like, plot holes. I don't think that every church is as good at brainwashing as they think they are. No, you're completely right. Mine was not. <laughs> yeah, there, there's definitely like some stuff where, where I've heard somebody be like, yeah, I just thought about it for like 10 seconds. And I was like, ah, oh, something here seems off. Yeah, no, exactly. And now granted, it was harder for me because I was told the same thing my whole life. And so mm-hmm. I, I didn't really know too much to think outside the box, but it was getting into high school and getting into philosophy that got me to really think like the things I'm being taught and the things I've learned my whole life, they don't, they don't match. Yeah, Something's yeah. off. And so that, that kind of got me thinking more. And I, I think that having that kind of teaching method is so much better than just force feeding information. Definitely. Um, and that's what I enjoy in some of our college classes. We're able to get that. Um, yeah. And, and everyone has value with the way that they learn and the way that they process knowledge. And I think that right. one of the, the really sad things about public school as a whole, which I, I want to be very clear, is almost entirely out of the hands of the teachers. I like if, if you're mm-hmm. a teacher, like oh, I'm, I'm currently teaching at a private school and I've talked to my fellow teachers who used to teach at public schools. Mm-hmm. And I hear so much of just like I had to leave because I wanted to give so much and I was set in this tiny box where I could do nothing. And it it sucks to hear that. Well, the system's rigged rigged against them because most teachers really care about their students. But they they can't do everything they can, like that they want to, to help them, Um, Uh, which is sad. Yeah. And there's so much like, there's so much societal and systemic issue that is threaded Mm -hmm. through that. That's kind of meant to build this class structure where if you can afford to go to private school, you get a education that caters to your type of learning and you end Mm -hmm. up going um, to being able to like leave your societal class easier. And public school doesn't provide that, which is a whole nother, you know, deep discussion about um, capitalism. Yeah, the issues with capitalism and the education system and racism. Um, But yeah, if if you went to public school and hated learning, you might just not have gotten to learn in a style that worked for you and like if i had gone to public school it would have been really hard for me i probably would not love learning the way i love it now interestingly enough that specific the way of learning that you're talking about is a big part of bill and ted's excellent adventure because what it what it um what our friend paolo paolo i'm just gonna call him paolo because wikipedia has these pronunciations he, they do, and I could look it up right now. I'm just, I'm in the middle of this, and I'm not gonna. That's okay, that's okay. What he talks about is a literary society versus an mm. oral society, and mm. how that changes how we learn. Throughout the movie, Bill and Ted use the time machine. They go back, and they actually interact with the people from their history class, and they mm-hmm. really learn because they're able to have that dialogue with them, they're able to talk to them, and they're able to see the truth about how things are actually done ra- rather than just being told the facts, you know? Yeah. The really interesting part of that is, though, when they go to time periods and places that have that literary learning and that literary society where it's like they can write everything down, there's normally a lot more problems with like the system and like systemic oppression rather than when they go and meet Socrates. Socrates never actually wrote anything down. His student Plato did. And 
that was like the last time before they changed from oral traditions to literary ones. Mm-hmm. But um, the point brought up in the video was just that when you write things down, when you have a literary society, that is when you are able to hold that power over other people. And that's yeah. why the people at the top sit there and they have that information and they'll give out certain parts of it, but only what they deem necessary. That really ties into like like canon formation with religion. Mm-hmm. So canon formation is the formation of the authoritative texts of a religion. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of religions that didn't have authoritative texts for a really long time, but had right. a mythological canon that was widely accepted. Because it was passed down orally, right? Yeah, with completely oral traditions. So like in Hinduism, it was for a long time a completely oral tradition and there's a... Um, like a, a monastery that has been closed to the public for a really long time until very recent. Um, that is an entirely oral tradition that is passed father to son for generation after generation. And they speak a language there that all the like religious text that's spoken is, is unrecognizable. Nowhere else in the world speaks wow. it. And after being analyzed by linguistics, um, the closest thing that it can be associated with is birdsong. Whoa. It's, it's, it's possibly, this is not proven, but we know that Sanskrit is one of the oldest languages, and this language that is yeah. used in this religious tradition might predate Sanskrit. Holy which shit. Which is, what? Crazy. But yeah. my whole theory about uh, canon formation and the difference between literary and oral tradition, which is what you're talking about, mm-hmm. um, is that when a tradition, when we see a religious tradition that is more modern, um, like I'll use Christianity, Christianity as an example, it had the ability to be taken almost entirely into a literary tradition without the phase where that mythology was passed through generations of oral tradition and then written down, like we might see with even older Abrahamic religions. Mm -hmm. Um, But with a lot of Eastern religious traditions, you see people talking about mythological traditions and then eventually it gets written down and it's already been passed through these generations. And it's a lot more flexible. It has variants. It has changes. But Christianity the Bible got put together quick yeah. and a lot of stuff was left out of it in the canon formation. It was just pushed out of mm-hmm. it. Um, and it never had time to work its way back into the myth. And so now people are working it back into the myth and changing the mythological canon, um, which is different and not something that's frequently seen. Right. But those literary, tra- those literary traditions have these like closed borders where it's hard to see fluidity in the spirituality and see fluidity in the way things are interpreted. Um, which is different for oral traditions mm-hmm. where there is that fluidity. Any, I'm a third-year religious scholar. I don't have <laughs> a lot of fully flushed knowledge. So, grain of salt, again. But but also very interesting. That's, like, more insight than a lot of people have. It's it's really... That's my basic understanding of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really fascinating. And, like, I don't know. I do think that's where, like, some issues come in because you see with the formation and, like, writing of the Bible, I mean... There are verses that were put in the Bible in the 40s, not the 1840s, the 1940s. There were translations that were changed. Well, sorry, yes. But the scriptures were there. <laughs> Again, yeah, right. No, I'm, I'm not saying that like they wrote it, but yeah. Yeah, translational change has been able to alter the mythological canon more than oral tradition. Yeah. Which is oh, strange. Exactly. It, it completely alters it and changes the way we view religion as a whole. Yeah, I, there's, there's a lot of verses and specifics that I could get into, but there are, there are definitely some pretty tough changes that were put in. In 1945, uh, the verse that people 
probably like know as like a man shall not lie with another man in the Bible. That one put in there, it was the original translation was a young man. It was it was not talking about homosexuality. It was talking about pedophilia being mm-hmm. an actual issue, which duh, yeah. But it was used that way and it was put in there. Isn't it funny that it was put in there in 1945, right before America tried to sell everyone the nuclear family? Mm. Yeah. It just seems as though it kind of works its way in <clears throat> and it's used to control. I, I, I don't yeah. like the way that, yeah, the literary society is used to control. That's a big part of this movie. Globalization of religion has in many ways had a, had a tendency to almost bastardize religion to a point that it mm-hmm. is unrecognizable from uh, like unrecognizable in the context of culture. So yeah. religions that stay in one place, like like Hinduism has not moved a lot. Uh, most the majority of people who practice Hinduism live in India and the culture of Hinduism is deeply connected to the culture of people who live in India. They're they're connected mm-hmm. in in a really in a really striking way. Um and the way you see that tradition be almost seamlessly connected to culture and everyday life is not the same as as we see with Christianity. Right. Because Christianity was separated from culture and then mass produced and spread out. Um because of of how it got picked up by Rome, which eventually would get picked up by Europe and, and travel all around. It didn't mm-hmm. travel through migration by through migration. It traveled through um colonialism, which is right. not the most effective way to share religion. <laughs> no, probably not. Probably not. Yeah, colonialism is is not the only, the only thing it is is the most effective way to be greedy. But um, mm-hmm. it, it it fascinates me to see how different a culture surrounding a religion that did not move naturally is, um, because it yeah. was picked up and moved or even forced upon people. It was forced into cultures that it didn't really know how to vibe with, yeah. and so we saw I, things. I, I... Yeah, like, like you were saying about I'm the sorry, nuclear I was family. Th- I was thinking the same exact word. I, I was literally going to be like, yeah, it just didn't vibe with them. But oh, you yeah, said yeah. It. Ah. So, so we see Christianity being changed to fit culture and culture being changed mm-hmm. to fit Christianity. And at some point, they both become uncomfortable with one another. And that's right. where we see a lot of conflict, specifically in America. That's where, that's where I find an issue with people who do not question anything that they're told in like church or any religion where it's like, not that religion in itself is necessarily bad, but I think mm-hmm. it has been corrupted to a to a fault, like to a point where I don't know that unless you're able to really think for yourself and not just take in everything you hear. Yeah. Be- belief and religion are not the same. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I I just think that there's too much of a power structure put into it. Whereas mm. in uh like they talked about in the video, whereas like societies with oral traditions, especially when we go back to like ancient Greeks and stuff, they were a lot more peaceful. And that's what's shown in Bill and Ted as well. They're like one of the very few places they go that are peaceful and not in war mm. because it's just so much more inclusive to sit there and learn about something. You'll just listen to someone else. You don't have to be the person holding the book, mm. which yeah. I find very interesting. Um, and then it ties up at the end with Bill and Ted giving their or- oral presentation to the entire school, which, first of all, what? W- when does that happen ever? <laughs> they're, they're all in the auditorium in front of the entire student body. And it's like, 
okay, what history like, what teacher are you a would sophomore? be that? Yeah, yeah, right? Um, this is not your but, capstone project, dude. It's just it's just a really interesting way to view it. Um, at least I, mm-hmm. I really think so. But it is cool. It And so the more they talked about that specifically, like, yes, they talked about the issues with the American school system. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty prevalent in there, but at the same time, not a huge point. But this literary versus an oral society is like a big part of it and the it's like hinted at several times when they go to the future there's no texts they're just like things that bill and ted themselves have said because they are now the saviors of the world um just passed down generation by generation given oral presentations and in the second movie this this i'm wrapping it up but in the second movie the main villain is from the future trying to like dethrone them as the saviors of the world and guess where he's got all his plans written down in his book. Uh, Fascinating. So, again, I, I just think it's like, none of that is complete fact. We don't know for sure if that's what the creators were going for or of not. Course. But, a, but cool thing to think about. Look, a cool thing to think about looking too deeply into any movie, really, you can find a lot of deeper meanings, even if it's just like we talked about at the beginning of the episode, when bad things happen, you attribute a deeper meaning to them. It's just like that. It's just mm-hmm. attributing a deeper meaning to a piece of media. And I think yeah. it's so cool to be able to do that, theorize about it, and talk about it. Yeah. And I, I love um, hearing about, yeah, about yeah. the like the oral society. I, th- I think it's, it is really cool to think about it on one hand and really like sobering for me to think about it on the other hand. A, a lot of oral traditions have been essentially killed and erased by imperialism, colonialism, and uh, slavery. So... Yeah. That was one thing that I that I thought about because of how many stories I wish I wish that they were written down so that we could learn yeah. from them now. And that that's that's the thing. It's it's difficult because yes, it is like important that we can read and write and understand things based on reading them. But the issue comes in when that is used to gain power and then hold it over other people. Yeah. I guess the big, yeah. the big question of it is, do you think that the hierarchy of power and oppression exists because of the use of, Ooh. you know, written word and literacy and knowledge? Or do you think that it has only taken knowledge and literary work and used it against people who don't have access to that? Right. Okay. Yeah. No, I absolutely, I think it, this is a hard one because it really comes down not as much to the use of like literature and writings themselves as much as it is the people that get a hold of them. Um, I mean, cause like in ancient Greece, there were slaves. Yeah, no, exactly. There was, there was a hierarchical system. There, there are still yeah. issues. I think, I think the issue comes with people because like we said before on this like whole yin yang thing of the universe, there are people that do actively try to work towards good, and there are people that actively try to work towards selfishness for themselves mm-hmm. out of fear. And so, so you do think like the hierarchy is there anyway? I th- and it's just been utilizing. I think that people are always going to try to gain power, have a hierarchy, and to some extent, as society, we need some kind of hierarchy. Uh, I've actually been learning a lot about this in my global issues class. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking about how each specific state, not like, you know, North Carolina, South Carolina, but like state as in each country has a government and a hierarchical power that goes all the way up to like 
the world council where each of them like meet but there's nothing above that there's no hierarchy above that to really settle disputes that's why we it gets led to war and things like that oh that's going off on a whole another tangent about like global politics can i offer a different point that if there were no people speaking for all the people it is likely we wouldn't have war in the first place because it is very unlikely that an entire group of millions of humans would choose to fight mm-hmm. against an entire group of millions of humans instead oh, of I totally two agree. to ten people having a dispute over money yeah i think that hierarchy can be a good thing to, when you're working together for a common goal but i do think it does become a problem when it gets so massive to the point where we're at where it's like every country has a hierarchy and every country is sitting here fighting with each other for resources. It becomes an issue when you're sitting there looking for like absolute power and controlling tons of other people. Um, yeah, it, it's it's a difficult question, honestly. I think I think that though to answer your original question, the hierarchy is there, and they do use that literary power over other people. They'll use any tool they can over other people. <laughs>